from WNUR News, I'm Helen Bradshaw. You're listening to the 6 o'clock news on WNUR 89.3 FM HD1, Evanston, Chicago. Today is Friday, February 5th. Tonight, unpacking a recent Evanston mayoral debate. You know, we're going to have a new mayor in a few months, and there'll be a new president of the University of Northwestern before too long. I think that's an opportunity for a reset and an improvement in the relationship, and that's something that I'm committed to making happen. Answering some important questions about the COVID vaccine. So what we know about uh, at least the most recent variants is they should be covered. There is some question about some variant found in Brazil and South Africa that the vaccines may not be as effective. The new owners of the Evanston Burger King sign. All of our roommates came back, and so then June and I were like, we have a proposition. <laughs> we want to steal the Burger King sign. And the process of virtual acapella auditioning. I've listened to Purple Haze's music for many years before this. Specifically with my high school acapella group, we were kind of obsessed with them, so it feels sort of surreal to be in the group now. Those stories tonight. Stay tuned. up, during a debate on Tuesday, Evanston residents got the chance to get to know the three candidates running to be the city's new mayor. Here to tell us what happened is Nick Song. The primary in Evanston's mayoral election is scheduled for February 23rd. Current mayor Steve Haggerty announced he would not be running for re-election, meaning the spot will be occupied by a fresh face come May. On Tuesday night, Evanston Live TV hosted a debate between the three candidates running for the position. At the podium, former state senator Daniel Biss, local business owner Lori Keenan, and recent ETHS grad and Evanston local Sebastian Knowles. The debate was streamed over Facebook Live. It's the first and only debate scheduled in the lead up to the election. This is a night to really get to know the candidates. And you know what? With the questions, they're going to help you to get to know their opponent. Moderator Malika Gardner laid down the rules. Each candidate would be allotted an equal amount of time to sell Evanston residents on their vision for the future. Daniel Biss spent six years representing Illinois' 9th Congressional District as its state senator in Springfield. In 2018, Biss mounted a campaign for Illinois governor but conceded to eventual winner and current governor J.B. Pritzker. Biss pointed to his experience in the state senate as the reason voters could trust him. I spent eight years of the last decade as a state legislator in Springfield representing this community, passing almost 100 bills into law on behalf of people in this community to make a difference in folks' lives, whether that was through tax, fairness, budget policy, civil rights, reproductive freedom, political reform, or more. The owner of a local PR firm in Evanston, Lori Keenan, describes herself as a longtime community activist. Since moving to Evanston some 20 years ago, Keenan is a regular in city council meetings, frequently challenging city officials on a wide variety of topics. Her main mission in the race is to eliminate what she calls frivolous spending. And I think that those experiences and my experience with local businesses is also a real advantage, especially coming out of COVID. Sebastian Knowles has only ever known Evanston. He's grown up here, having graduated from Evanston Township High School in 2018. He's young, a current junior at Purdue University who studies accounting and poli-sci, but Knowles is motivated. He's in this race because he believes the city can better connect 
with its residents, especially those who have been marginalized in the past. And I think that's exactly what Evanston needs right now. An individual that knows the community inside and out, that's willing to work with people from across the aisle, from different backgrounds, racially, religiously, ethnically, and economically. In another election year, the three candidates would be standing on stage, debating policy amongst themselves in front of an auditorium full of citizens. But this year they're not. Instead, the three candidates address the residents through their computers. Given the context, they're asked about vaccine distribution. All three take a common stance. Being able to distribute the vaccination in a way that is equitable, I think that's vital. Getting that vaccine out the door, that we're doing it in as equitable a fashion as possible, not replicating the patterns we've seen in a lot of places where the communities that are vaccinated first are the communities that are least impacted by the pandemic. We need to emphasize that uh, we're, we're starting now on a pathway to, to ending COVID and, and fighting back against this virus, but we still have a lot of work to do in terms of economic development, budgeting, uh, and ensuring that all of our residents are vaccinated in an equitable manner. It's indicative of the same liberal philosophy, which each candidate claims is guiding their campaign. Another issue on the minds of residents is the economic situation the city is in. Like countless cities across America, city revenue is down, and the next elected mayor will face an $8 million deficit in the city's 2021 budget. When asked about how they would approach the deficit, each had their own unique solution. Keenan stressed the necessity to audit and review city expenses. Uh, and I would immediately call for a forensic audit of the city's budget for at least the past five years. We've kept our budget below a threshold that hasn't allowed outside auditing. And I think that everybody in Evanston deserves to know what's going on with the budget. Nall's proposed making up for lost city revenue by adding Northwestern University's property to the city's tax rolls. Currently, the university is exempt from paying property taxes on its land. After adding up all of Northwestern's property or estimated property taxes, it comes out to about $29 million of property taxes that they're not paying. Now, it would be impossible to collect all of those property taxes, but it's something that we can come to the negotiating table with. This looked to public safety expressing his desire to cutting back on the militarization of the Evanston Police Department. Our reaction to problems of violence, our reaction to problems of public safety, has been to further militarize our response, essentially. And what that's done is it said, we're going to use expensive tools to address problems in ways that are less appropriate than actually the, the right way to handle them. Another issue that came up was the plan for paying reparations to Evanston's Black residents. Two years ago, Alderman Robin Rue Simmons of the Fifth Ward proposed a plan to provide reparations to the Black community of Evanston through the form of homeowner assistance. Black residents would be eligible for up to $25,000 to help pay for homeownership, mortgage assistance, and home improvement. City Council approved the fund shortly after, but questions still remain over the distribution of those funds. Knowles pointed to a lack of communication with Black residents, emphasizing that the Black community was not monolithic in their views towards reparations. I recently talked to a business owner uh, right on Church and Dodge, and she said that she qualified for uh, reparations, she fit into that qualificating factors, uh, but yet her house was paid off. She had no interest in renovating her house. And therefore she had no way of collecting those reparations. Uh, and she said, why can't I take that money and go renovate my business or pay my bills 
so I can put that money aside and build my equity my own way. Before we even begin to roll out this program, we need to go back and have those conversations and see if this is a pathway forward that we want to go on. This supported the plan to grant reparations through the form of home ownership assistance. The city of Evanston has done harm through its actions, through its actions on behalf of all of us, whether we lived here or not at the time. The city of Evanston that perpetuated segregation did harm and destroyed black wealth through its impact on housing. And therefore it owes reparation to repair that harm in the arena of wealth and housing. Keenan says she supports providing reparations to the black community free of any restrictions put on by the city. Reparations, true reparations, is giving money for them to spend in a way that they think that they should spend it. It should not be geared towards homeownership or whatever else the city of Evanston wants to do. So I think while it's great that we've talked about reparations and we're moving this forward, I think it's amazing. But we can't do it like Evanston has done so much in the past, which is sort of in a bungled start, stutter stop, you know, where we're not doing the right things. Keenan also expressed concern over the motivations behind business support of reparations through home ownership. I would be very suspect and call me cynical, but the guy that's taking money from real estate developers talking about development and, and being able to invest reparation money in development sounds a little wrong to me. This expressed dismay at the accusation. I, I kind of do want to respond, actually. Um, seconds. First of all, the allegation that I have some kind of stake in reparations is outrageous and, and frankly flabbergasting. But the question is, are we going to try to move forward and build on what we have, or are we going to try to first tear down what we have? Because my fear is that if we first tear down what we have and then hope that we can some other time build something better later, I've seen this happen way too many times. The later often just never shows up, and that would be a tragedy. The final question of the night asked for each candidate's response to the NU Community Not Cops protests which occurred in the fall. The student-led protest urged the university to disband its campus police department. The protests took place over a month-long period and resulted in property damage across portions of campus and parts of downtown Evanston. Officers in riot gear broke up the protests through the use of K-9 units and the use of chemical ammunition. Following the protests, Mayor Haggerty sent an open letter to the university president, Morton Shapiro, requesting the school foot the $70,000 bill accrued per officer overtime. When asked about Haggerty's response, Keenan took issue with its language and focused on improving the city's relationship with the school. I think that it was probably not right to do it, um, but I think that there's a lot of um, duplication of services and police is one of those areas. So I think going forward, I would certainly try to have a better understanding going forward with Northwestern University, better town gown relations so that if something like this were to happen, what's the protocol and how can we work more collaboratively towards or less animosity within the relationship? Knowles demanded the city go back to the negotiating table with NU administrators in order to restructure their relationship. Northwestern students, uh, elected officials, Northwestern administration, and Evanston residents to sit down, come up with a comprehensive plan forward and a pathway forward on Northwestern Evanston relations uh, that can be beneficial to both parties in the end of the day. Bis put the blame solely on University President Morton Shapiro. He characterized the $70,000 tab as a city having to pay for Shapiro's mismanagement. With all due respect, the president of Northwestern University 
mishandled this situation and escalated it. And as a result of that escalation, there was a need for Evanston to spend more money out of pocket. And so because of that, I think it makes sense to go back to Northwestern and say, listen, this is a tab that y'all sent us with because of choices you deliberately made. We would ask you to uh, support our ability to pay that tab. This continued and suggested a new relationship could be better formed with Morton Shapiro's successor. You know, we're going to have a new mayor in a few months and there'll be a new president of the University of Northwestern before too long. I think that's an opportunity for a reset and an improvement in the relationship, and that's something that I'm committed to making happen. Early voting for the primary election starts on Monday. Residents can cast their ballot for mayor and other city positions in room G300 at the Evanston Civic Center. For WNUR, I'm Nick Song. Next, reporter Miranda Chabot speaks with Dr. Michelle Prigott of Northwestern Medicine to address some common questions and concerns about the COVID vaccine. Here in Evanston, we're coming up on a full year since campus first closed to prevent the spread of COVID-19. And while many of us have settled into a quarantine routine, the pandemic reality changes every day. Between vaccine distribution and the return of underclassmen to campus, winter has brought plenty of new COVID considerations to light. So, to answer your pandemic questions, I sat down with Northwestern Medicine's Dr. Michelle Prickett. I am an associate professor of medicine and pulmonary critical care. I am an ICU doc who sees COVID patients. Have you gotten a COVID vaccine? I have. It was just a breath of relief. It was not easy getting registered. It was a little clunky. That was the hardest part. The actual process of getting it was quite easy. When can most Northwestern students expect to get vaccinated? Most regular college students are going to be under the age of 65, um, and if they don't have a pre-existing condition, we would expect sometime in late spring, early summer is the projection, although that may change as new vaccines become available and new supply becomes available. If I'm offered a vaccine, but I'm not in a prioritized group, should I take it? We want to get everyone vaccinated as quickly as possible. So if it's completely an error, certainly bring that up. But if, if they are in an occupation or an exposure risk that um, it would benefit the community to have them vaccinated, I, I certainly think that's a consideration. So I, I, I wouldn't be camping out outside the sites of distribution. Um, but certainly if there are phone calls or waiting lists uh, that can be developed or employed so that we do not throw out vaccines, that certainly Again, I think our goal is to get as many vaccines into arms uh, and not freezers or, you know, uh, God forbid, the garbage can. Do I need to get vaccinated if I've already been infected? Right now, the recommendation is to uh, to vaccinate as many people uh, as possible, um, even if they had a prior or known infection. So if someone is actively infected with symptoms, we, we certainly don't want to continue to expose them to or their immune system. Uh, but once their symptoms have resolved and or outside the 90-day mark, so people don't want to get it after symptom resolution while they still may have some antibody response from natural immunity, uh, after 90 days post a, a known infection would be the timing for vaccination. After I'm vaccinated, do I need to stay masked and socially distancing? Absolutely. The vaccine uh, is the, the 
two that are currently out, Moderna and Pfizer, are both two-series shots. So it's after either a week or two weeks after the second shot is when you are optimally vaccinated. So you don't want to run out and make any changes really at all, but especially not until after the second week, uh, after the second dose, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a community, we still need to work to stop the spread. And so while I'm vaccinated, I think it takes a little bit of the fear of severe COVID, um, but certainly I, I want to protect our community and still work on getting case rates down. And we don't know if those that are vaccinated are still able to be asymptomatic carriers and spread the disease to their unvaccinated coworkers, community members, or loved ones. Will the current vaccines protect against new COVID variants? Variants are expected whenever you deal with uh, especially viruses, especially RNA viruses. This is a expected outcome for uh, consistent infections at such a level. So that was not surprising. And so the vaccine companies have been looking for variants and testing variants. So what we know about uh, at least the most recent variants is they should be covered. Um, there is some question about some variant found in Brazil that this made and South Africa that the vaccines may not be as effective as some of the other uh, variants. Is the virus more infectious during the winter? The optimal conditions for spread are actually what we see in our Chicago winters. So cool, dry air when people are staying indoors with poorly circulating air because uh, we, we don't typically open the windows during winter. So, so yes, that is a, a higher risk environment and therefore uh, the need to remain socially distant and universally masked when outside of our, uh, our bubble is important, especially in our winter months. How can I keep myself safe while I'm living in a dorm? You want to find your safe space that you you kind of uh, keep clean, uh, even if we're in communal environments. So we see this in the hospital that would go with dorm living. So trying to do your meals uh, in private so that you're not risking exposure, taking your mask off is, is a recommendation. Should I cancel any spring break travel plans? We know the risk of travel and just uh, moving viruses from place to place. This is a, a invisible infection because many of those that are infected are asymptomatic carriers and spreaders. So if as, as we approach the opportunity for vaccination, we certainly want to try to minimize as much travel as possible so that uh, we can get people safely vaccinated and you know, make our community safer. One student asked, I have a loved one who doesn't want to get vaccinated. Do you have any tips for how to discuss this with them? I I think whenever you talk about vaccine hesitancy, you want to take it from an angle of empathy and compassion and understanding that there is a lot of factors related to the healthcare experience that are unique to that individual. My, My recommendation to our residents is always listen more than you talk on that. Ask the question, really listen to what they have to say, and come back with data and information and let people know that you want them vaccinated because you care about them. And that's usually, if they trust you and they understand, that's usually uh, a very good start to helping them um, feel more comfortable. Thank you so much for your time, Dr. Prickett. Do you have any final thoughts to share? I think just patience and the importance of trying to keep yourself protected um, until you're eligible for a vaccine. 
we can do that, I think we're going to see changes in the months ahead. But we have a couple more months to go, and we really need everyone to work together to meet that goal. For WNUR News, I'm Miranda Chabot. The Evanston Burger King, located on Clark and Orrington, permanently shut down in December. But part of its legacy lives on as decor in the apartment of several Northwestern students. Reporter Maria Camano has the story. In the middle of fall quarter, Northwestern students received the sad news that the famous Burger King on Orrington Avenue was closing its doors after 44 years of serving food to students and the Evanston community. Once students came back for winter quarter, however, a group of sophomores made waves on Twitter after posting a picture of them taking the iconic Burger King sign that once belonged to the restaurant. Jordan Manji and Mayher Yeda told me the story of how the sign has become a part of their apartment's decor. So to set the scene, um, this is like our first week all together in Evanston since like moving. And so we had to go to Trader Joe's slash Jewel Osco to get food. And so me and my roommate Jude, like we were walking back to our apartment and we went to go get bubble tea from Kung Fu Tea. And if you're like, down that street you can see the dumpster of burger king and so we like looked at it and then i was like i kind of want to like see if we can get the sign we were holding bags of groceries and we sort of like set them down and like got up on the ledge and tried to look in the dumpster to see if the sign was like light slash we could pull it out but it wasn't so like you and i kind of gave up and so we kind of came back to our apartment and like all of our roommates came back and so then june and i were like we have a proposition. <laughs> we want to steal the Burger King sign. Steal is a loose term. We got another one of our roommates and a ladder, which funny enough was left here by our landlord because he was changing the fire alarm. <laughs> and so we just like me, Jude, and our roommate Alex went back to the Burger King dumpster, like ladder, flashlight, phone flashlight, and gloves. Gloves. Gloves are essential because we were afraid of tetanus. <laughs> Um, yeah, and then so we we had to pull it out, and it was a process for sure. Because, yeah, it, it's really, really it's large. Really, really no big. picture has done it justice. Like, it is, was really huge, and we brought it, like, we kind of carried it upstairs, and we were like, oh, no, where is it going to go? Like, we had not considered. We ended up kind of, like, putting it on the back of the porch, and, like, the people who lived downstairs, they came up and saw it, and they were like, this is so cool. We have to be friends. Um, and then it, like was posted on the internet and then it kind of like exploded. <laughs> yeah. Their post on Twitter quickly got hundreds of likes and soon enough they were getting messages from students and friends who wanted to visit the sign. When people come over to our house, which is like obviously not very often because of COVID, but like because it's out on the porch sometimes, people, our friends will come over with masks on. They're like, can we see the sign? And so we go show them the sign. The popular Northwestern Instagram account Barstool Cats even offered Yeda money for it. Barstool Cats DM'd us. They offered us well, first they quote tweeted my tweet and was like, are you selling it? And Or they were like, what do you want for this sign? So then they DM'd me and they were like, 50 bucks for the sign? And I was like, sorry, it's not for sale. And they were like, sad. Well, if you change your mind, I'll give you 150 for it. Which I just feel like is an insult to our effort. They even got a reply from Burger King on Twitter. Burger King replied too. They were like, take care of her. <laughs> Yeda and Manji explained that Burger King was meaningful to them not only because it was an important part of traditions from their freshman dorm, East Fairchild, but also because it was an Evanston staple. I think that Burger King is an Evanston landmark because it was like last year the only place to get food after midnight. And so I think, you know, 
We were all there pretty often. Yeah. Despite Burger King not being open anymore, the memories made at the restaurant will continue to live on. As Burger King once tweeted out, maybe the real Burger King is the friends we've made along the way. True. <laughs> In the end, it is just nice to know that the sign is being taken care of by Manji, Yeda, and their roommates. For WNUR News, this is Maria Camano. In the wake of winter acapella auditions, reporter Allison Ronch speaks to Northwestern students about the triumphs and tribulations of the process. Northwestern students are back on pitch thanks to winter acapella auditions. The school is known for its acapella groups, 14 in all, and while their main auditions take place at the beginning of the fall quarter, hopefuls can audition at the beginning of the winter and spring quarters too. But with the COVID-19 pandemic, the process this year was a little more complicated. Elena Garcia Schroeder is one of the lucky few who snagged a winter quarter spot in a group. I've listened to Purple Haze's music for many years before this, um, specifically with my high school acapella group. We were kind of obsessed with them, so it feels sort of surreal to be in the group now. This quarter, singers went through online auditions. They had to submit pre-recorded videos singing prepared cuts of songs, as well as sing live over Zoom. I definitely think they all made it super welcoming and wanted everyone to feel super excited and comfortable being there, even in a, in a weird Zoom format. Aaron Klopnock, another auditioner, says that while he thinks the groups did their best, the limitations of online auditions were hard to overlook. Because most of the audition is like them just finding your vibe and like talking to you. And like, I always thought that being over Zoom, you can't interact with someone at the same level you could like in person, which is always like a detriment for sure. Group initiations also had to be altered for the socially distant era. The night that I got in, um, they they called and um, sort of talked in a robotic, one of, one of the members talked in a robotic sort of automated voice message type of way. So they said something along the lines of, is this Elena? And I was like, yes. And they said, you have gotten into an acapella group. And I was like, what? They came with all the members of the group or all the members that could attend and came to each of our dorms and, you know, did like a socially distanced uh, welcome and chant and threw like a purple haze hat at me. For better or for worse. Some people were getting like phone calls like during that night that they were releasing results. And so no one knew if they made it or not. And it was really stressful. And I ended up staying up till like 6 a.m. just like wondering because like everyone else was like, Oh, did you get a phone call? One student who didn't receive a phone call decided to take matters into her own hands. Leslie Robbins auditioned for five groups, and when she didn't get a callback, she decided to make her own. Robbins, a SESPE first year, is working with the Northwestern Acapella Community Alliance to form a group that is open to all, especially non-theater and voice majors. Obviously, like, not to discredit in any way shape or form but I know that like a lot of the groups just because they know that people have professional training they like tend to favor like theater and voice performance that's really 
the main reason like why I wanted to do acapella in the first place I guess is because like I really like singing I don't have a whole lot of time to it's not built into my schedule as a teaching English major I don't have any you know music classes but I love music. Robbins hopes to have her group approved by the spring quarter. Right now she's working on paperwork as well as collecting members. I have like I think like eight or nine other people who I have, we have a little like group chat, probably just kind of focus on like getting to know each other. Auditions and memberships aside, singers are just grateful to connect with each other musically again. We've all been isolated from sort of having this musical experience for so long that um, everyone was just sort of excited that there was anybody that was eager and willing to, you know, go through that process to be a part of something special like this. For WNUR News, I'm Allison Rauch. And now for this week's roundup. The Chicagoland area is due for the lowest temperatures since the polar vortex two years ago. Wind chills are expected to be below zero, and cold temperatures will persist into next week. On Thursday, Northwestern sent an email updating students on spring quarter. Courses are expected to look similar to winter, with many classes remaining online. Students will be allowed to stay in the dorms over spring break at no additional cost. As for COVID-19 status at Northwestern, the university reported 24 new coronavirus cases in the past week and a positivity rate of 0.27%. This is down from the 37 new cases the week before. In more somber news, actor Christopher Plummer has died at the age of 91. Plummer is well known as Captain George Von Trapp in The Sound of Music, but he has played a variety of roles throughout his lengthy career, including characters in Shakespearean works, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, and Knives Out. If you're interested in more of our pandemic coverage, be sure to listen to The Daily Cat, WNUR's morning news briefing. Well, that's all for the WNUR news at 6 p.m. For more news updates and reports, follow us on Twitter at WNUR News. On behalf of our producer, Olivia Lloyd, reporters Nick Song, Miranda Chabot, Maria Camano, Allison Ronch, and all of us here at WNUR, I'm Helen Bradshaw. You can listen to these and other stories of the day on our Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and online at WNUR.org. Your next news break will be Monday, February 8th. Now, back to scheduled programming.